Yeah, I'm thankful to be here I'm praying for Pastor Steve today. You know, I was thinking about it, this service. He's got the flu. I, yesterday, both of my kids, I found out had the flu. Um, but I think Pastor Steve having the flu is a little bit of God's gift to us. And I'm going to tell you why. And if he's listening to this, here's why. It reminds us that he's a mere mortal. Right? Like, this is my second service. I haven't even started preaching. I'm already tired. And that guy does it three times every week, and he makes normal men feel like boys. So this reminds us, like, all right, there is hope for all of us. He gets sick, too. This is, this is great. And Pastor Steve, if you're watching, go to bed. We know you're probably doing some conference calls right now, but go back to bed. We love you. We miss you. You guys have the greatest senior pastor in the world. I hope you know that. I really believe that. Yeah. Uh, this morning, I'm excited... But before I get into my sermon, there's something I've been thinking about, and I just want to ask you guys uh, a quick question. How's everybody's New Year's diet resolutions going? About as bad as mine, I see. You know what I realize about myself? Anybody like this? Some of you in here, like you can eat whatever you want and you stay skinny. Can we all just collectively say aloud, we hate you? Am I, am I right on that? But I realize this about myself and like dieting. You ever realize that right, the, the time that you're the most fired up about dieting, like you're the most like, I'm in this, this is it, is right after you finish a massive meal, right? Like you just finish a massive meal, you polish it off with a dessert you shouldn't have, but you know like you just got to do it. And then you get there and you're like, that's it. That was the last time. Like seriously, tomorrow I am all in. And, and you, you feel in that moment, you have a mission, right? Like, this is going to be easy for me. Skinny people, you don't understand this. It's going to go right over your head. But for everybody else, right, you're like, yes, I'm all in this. And then you're, you're, you're fired up. Like, for me, I'll set my I'm like, all right, tomorrow, 6 a.m., I'm getting up. I'm going to do some, some, run a quick 5K, maybe do some calisthenics, maybe some pull-ups. We'll see. I probably will have a lot of energy, so I'll probably do a lot of stuff in the morning, right? And I'm like, yes, all right, so 6 a.m., and then all of a sudden something happens, like 6 a.m. comes around, and I, I have an unbelievable ability. I cannot just admit to myself that I'm lazy. So I have to internally convince myself that it's not laziness. There's another reason why I shouldn't get up and exercise and diet. And so I literally, in my mind, I'll go, you know what? You'd probably have a better, more fruitful time of exercise, like, later on today, like this afternoon. And actually, if you slept more, like for another hour, it would give you more energy to exercise, and you'd be a better husband, a better father. This is all going through my mind at 6 a.m., by the way, when I'm turning my alarm off, right? And then, and then you get up for breakfast, your diet's going, you're like, all right, yeah, breakfast, I can diet, this is good. Let me get a couple eggs, you know? And then all of a sudden, lunch comes around, and that huge meal that you had before is now gone. And all of a sudden, one of your friends comes up and says, hey, you guys, you want to go get burgers? And then inevitably, all of a sudden, you lose sight of that mission, right? You're like, ah, screw it. We'll start tomorrow. Let's go. Let's get some, you know, that is the story of my life. And, uh, and I was thinking about that today because it reminded me, it reminded me a lot, Pastor Steve, when he called me yesterday to ask me to speak, he's like, man, I just want to talk about the church and talk about your heart and share your heart with everybody. And, uh, and, and. Let them have it. And I figure some of you, if you like this, you'll be sad I'm leaving. Some of you, if you're offended, you'll be happy I'm leaving. So either way, it's fine, right? But he's like, let them have it. And I was thinking about it and thinking about that idea of the reason why I'm terrible at dieting is because I so quickly lose sight of my mission. 
right? And how I think, here's, here's my heart, here's where I'm living right now. I think the church is potentially in the same place where the church has lost its potency because we've lost sight of our mission. And so I want to share about that this morning. And, and recently I was with this new role. And by the way, this, this new role is basically I get to love and serve youth pastors and college pastors and help them do their job better for the Assemblies of God in New York State. That's really what, what the job is. And recently, as, as part of this job, I had to go to a conference in Branson, Missouri, which is uh, like the Las Vegas of the Midwest. It's a very happening place. And uh, that was a joke. Okay, so, you, so, I'm in, so I'm there, and, it, and this is a whole new world to me, right? Because it, at this conference, it was all, the, all the, the major leaders in the Assemblies of God in the country. And so we're, we're sitting, I'm sitting at a table with our superintendent of New York State, and, and we're listening to the new general superintendent, who's the big dog over the whole AG, and he's casting vision, right? He's sharing, like, Here, here's what I believe God can do in our churches, and here's what, here's this, and here's that. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of, this is cool, this is interesting. And, and, but as I'm sitting there, like, God just speaks something to my heart. And, and I realized that in this moment, here is a group of men and women who are in a room and all are casting vision that they hope will trickle down to the different districts in the different states all over the country. And then they hope that vision will then trickle down into the different sections within the different states in the hope that that vision will trickle down to the local church. And you know what I realized that moment? I realized vision's awesome. Those guys matter. The job that I'm doing and stepping into matters, but the hope of the world lies in the local church. Doesn't lie in those positions. Doesn't lie in that vision. It lies right here. This group of people, the hope of the world, lies in the local church. This is the vehicle God's chosen to reach the world with the message of Jesus. Right here. How does God want to change Valley Stream and Queens and Franklin Square and all the surrounding communities? It's not through somebody else. It's through the local church. And by the way, the local church is not a building. It's a people. It's us. Right? Soon I'm abandoning you, so it's you. The hope of the world lies in the local church. And my heart and what God has been um, just burdening me with lately is the fear that the local church has lost its potency. That we're no longer a church that has any sort of power or authority in the United States. We're no longer a church where people look at and see something different. We're no longer a church who has an effect, a change effect on the culture around them. Because we've lost sight of our mission, we have lost our potency. And this morning I want to share with you guys a text in the book of Judges. I'm just going to share a few thoughts um, I, I, a lot of this, I, I just got up at 5.30 this morning and wrote my heart. So I hope, is that cool if I share my heart with you today? All right, amen. We're going to read Judges chapter 15, verses 9 through 15. I'm going to read, I'm going to pray with you guys, and then, uh, and then we'll jump in. Here's what it says. Judges 15, 9 through 15. It says, then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? 
What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourself. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And the bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that in this room is the church. It's a family, it's a body, God, and it's the, the, the choice you've made to reach the world with the hope found in Jesus. I pray this morning as we open up your word and open up this text that you would help us see how this text points us to Christ and how Christ has given us an identity, and because of that identity, he's given us a mission, and it's a mission that matters, God. And if there's things in our life, in this group, there's, there's individuals who, there, maybe there's things in our lives who have distracted us. Maybe there's comforts that we've placed above our mission, God, or, or, or preferences that we've put above our purpose, God. I pray this morning that you would bring to light those things and that you would help us rediscover our mission. That the church would become more potent than ever before at bringing people to Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. All right. Well, this story is, uh, some of you probably have heard of a dude named Samson, and this is a story that usually isn't talked about when we think about Samson, and I'm actually not going to focus much on Samson this morning, because I think this story has a bigger picture, and we can learn some things as we look at the nation of Israel in this story and apply it to the church today. And so here's what's happening in this story. If you read back in the book of Judges, the beginning of the story of Samson, we see this guy, Samson, who is, uh, he was an Israelite, and he was, uh, from birth, was sworn to be a Nazarite, which was like an extra, extra committed Israelite. They make different vows, couldn't drink alcohol, couldn't cut their hair, couldn't, uh, couldn't touch dead bodies. And, and we pretty quickly find out that Samson is not a great moral dude. Right, He breaks two of the three vows. The only one he keeps is done because hair. Uh, we, we find out, even from this text, if you notice, the Philistines say to Judah, oh, we're just going to do to Samson what he did to us. Right? And then later on you hear Samson say, I am just did to the Philistines what they did to me. So the author is showing us that his morality is the same as this pagan nation. Right? He's, not a, he's not a great moral hero. He's not someone we look at and go, man, I'd like to be like Samson. Although most of our kids do because he's super strong, right? But in this text, what's happened is Samson is marrying a Philistine woman, which he should never have done. And so he makes this riddle with this group of people, and they cheat him, figure out the riddle. And so in retaliation, and by the way, this starts the tit-for-tat retaliation back and forth. So in retaliation of them cheating and figuring out the riddle, he kills them, which seems like a fair retaliation, right? Um, and so in retaliation to that, the, his father-in-law doesn't let him see his bride. So in retaliation to that, he burns a bunch of their fields. So in retaliation to that, they kill his bride. And in retaliation to that, he kills hundreds of them. 
And you've got this back and forth. And now we've come to the point where the Philistines have gathered an army. They've gone to Judah. And they're like, we're coming for Samson. Right? We want him. And Judah comes and they, they interact with the Philistines. And in this moment where they had an opportunity to stand up for one of their own Samson and to stand up for the people, we see something interesting about their response. Notice what they say to Samson. They say, do you not know that they are rulers over us? Right? And then they go on to Samson and say, what have you done? So they admit that they're slaves, right? They're like, hey, don't you know that we're slaves? These dudes rule over us. And then they blame Samson for stirring up friction and chaos in their relationship. So here's what they're really saying. Hey, we got it pretty good right now. Like, we know we're slaves, but that's not bad. And what are you doing messing up a good thing? Now, here's what's amazing about this particular text is when you study this text, historians will say that this was the most significant point in Israelite history. And here's why. Because in this moment, the the nation of Israel was on the verge of extinction, which is a big deal. Because even if you're not a Christian, we know that Christianity comes out of the nation of Israel. Right? And Christianity is responsible for so much good in the world. Even if you don't believe Jesus is even real, you can't argue with that. It's been responsible for so much great things. So this is a huge moment historically. And here's why it was such a big moment. All the other pagan nations in ancient culture, they, were all, uh, they would all have the same purpose and the same mission, which was to expand their territory, to get more resources, more land, right? And they would do it through military conquest. So I'm bigger and stronger than you. I'm going to go beat you up, I'm going to make you my slave, and I'm going to take all your stuff. And that's what they would do, and they would all do that. And so we see throughout the nation of Israel, this is their history. The Midianites, the Ammonites, right, all these, the Moabites, all these people coming in, and, and they all had similar tactics, which is basically they would come in and just crush you. They would take all of your stuff, they would enslave you, they would persecute you, they would make you terrible. Similar to, you guys remember the story of the Egyptians, right? And the Israel under the slavery of the Egyptians. And they're just treating them worse and worse and worse, making them do more work with less supplies, right? And what would happen is, every time that that would take place, God in the book of Judges would raise up a judge, which really means deliverer, and the nation of Israel would rally behind that judge, they would overthrow their persecutors, come back to God, and for a period of time, they would uh, once again remember their identity and their mission, and they would live for God. And then, of course, over time, we know they would forget it, other nations would come in, and we do this cycle. And that's the book of Judges. Actually, it's the whole Old Testament, by the way, regarding the nation of Israel, right? And so they go on this cycle, and so all these other nations, this was what happened, but all of a sudden, the Philistines have a different approach, so the Philistines, instead of coming in and just crushing you, what they would do is they would come in and, and have you assimilate into them so that they could slowly weed out your culture. So they would intermarry with you, right? Instead of treating you like a slave or an outcast, they would begin to intermarry with you. They would begin to allow you to be a part of their worship. And slowly over time, after a few generations, what would happen is nobody remembered who they were. Everybody became a Philistine. And this was their tactic of growth. And so right now, based on what we know of this text, Israel is on the verge of being a generation or two away from no longer being in existence. And the reason is 
they had completely forgot their identity and their mission. They knew they were slaves and they were fine with it. Right? They were unwilling to disrupt their comfort or the things of their life because they liked and were chasing the same thing that the Philistines were. Every nation at that time, here's what they wanted. They wanted wealth. They wanted prosperity. They wanted to have lots of kids so they could have more workers in the field and more honor. They wanted bigger armies, more land, more stuff. Right? They were chasing power and success. They were chasing approval, cultural approval. They wanted people to look at them and love them. Sound familiar? Sound like today? It's the exact same thing as today, by the way, although tactics are a little different, right? And so the nation of Israel is looking and acting and pursuing and chasing the very same thing that every other nation was doing. And when Samson comes in, he starts disrupting stuff. They're like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? We got it pretty good right now. They completely, knowing their history, knowing that they were slaves in Egypt and God let them out, they were willing to go back into slavery because they didn't want to disrupt their comfort. Now here's why this is so profound. If you take a step back and we look at the nation of Israel and the role of Israel, right? You go back to the story of Abraham, who's the father of Israel. What we find out is that God gave Israel an identity and out of that identity gave him a mission. So he said, I'm gonna make you my people, right? You're gonna be my people. And Abraham, and then he, and, and he says, I'm going I'm, I'm to make your offspring like the sands of the seashore. But he, then he goes on to tell them why they're going to be his people. It's not just because he loves them more. It's not just because they're super special and everybody else is on the outs. It's because they have a mission, right? You're going to be a blessing to all the world. That's what he tells Abraham. So the identity of the nation of Israel being God's people was for a purpose. It was for a mission to bless the world. And here's how it would work. As Israel worship God differently, the way that their relationship with God looked different than every other nation. They were all polytheists. They worshiped all kinds of gods. Israel was the only nation that was monotheist, right? And so the way that they worshiped God was supposed to be different than other nations. And so as other nations would see that, they would notice that, and it would point them to who the true God, Yahweh, was. The way that they interacted with each other within their own nation. If you read in the Old Testament, you see all these laws, Leviticus, right? And you're like, oh, boring, let me move on. Right? Well, here's why that stuff's important. Because so many, so many of those laws are trying to teach Israel to interact with each other differently. They're saying that you are supposed to treat each other different than other nations treat each other. So take example like the year of Jubilee, right? Hey, after seven years, just forgive everybody's debts. Amen, I've still got 30000 in school debt. I would love that. I think we need to reinstitute the year of Jubilee when it comes to school debt. Right, but that's how they operated. Oh, and by the way, all the land is getting returned back to the original owners, right? So all these rules and regulations are set up to, to try to teach Israel how you interact with each other is supposed to show the world who God really is. And then lastly, how they interact with the outside world. So how they treat other people, how they treat other nations was supposed to be different than the way other nations worked and interacted. And therefore, God would use them to be the light onto the world. And we see this happening, by the way. Even when they leave Egypt, we know that there are Egyptians that go with them. They weren't Israelites. We know stories like Rahab, right, who was not of the nation of Israel. Even in that context, in that culture, to be of the nation of Israel was to be someone who had faith in Yahweh. So there, as they interacted with God and each other and the world around them, 
they were supposed to be a light. They were supposed to be potent that the world could see who the real God was. But their failure to do so also meant that they failed at changing the world around them. So here's what's crazy. In this moment, God uses this guy, Samson, who is in no way any sort of moral example, to come in and begin to create friction in a time when Israel is about to disappear. And so he comes in and he starts stirring up all this trouble and all these issues and creates all this chaos. And we read this, and, and, and to be honest, you, you read it, you're like, man, he killed a thousand men? Like, man, that seems kind of cruel. But he, as, as crazy as this seems and as counterintuitive uh, as this seems, this is actually an act of mercy and grace and love on God's part for both Israel and the Philistines. Because God knows that Israel is the hope of the world. And so if Israel forgets their identity and mission, there's no chance the Philistines are going to recognize. And in that culture, in that time, what was interesting is the validity of a god was attached to military victory. So they believed if you were successful in war, that meant your god's real, and I lost, so my god must not be real. So what we see in this moment, right, is Samson comes in, and he's kind of a military strategist, so he says to Israel, all right, tie my hands up as long as you don't kill me. What he knew was, how do you sneak up on people? How do, you, how do you best the Philistines when they know you're a crazy warrior? You act like there's no chance, there, you're no threat to them, right? So he says, tie me up, hand me over, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says something pretty powerful. It says, the spirit of the Lord came on him, and he does something supernatural and kills a thousand men. That's important because what it meant was, God was saying to both the nation of Israel and the Philistines, I'm the true God. People would see what Samson did and go, whoa, whoa, Samson is not great. His God is great. His God must be real. God is creating friction and stirring things up. He's digging up the soil to say, man, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who your real God is. And don't forget you've got a mission and a purpose. And I'll use broken people to accomplish that mission and purpose. Man, as I've been thinking about this this morning, I've just, my heart is it loves the local church. I've been a pastor for 11 years in the local church. That's where I believe the hope of the world lies. But man, my heart is also broken with the reality that I think the local church in America has lost its potency. We've completely forgotten, lost sight of our mission. We've become a group of consumers where the most people think, where do I go to church? Is because uh, who has the best programs? Who has the most stuff? Who's got the best singing? Who's got the preaching I like? Who's got uh, uh, convenient parking spaces? Which we know doesn't apply here, amen. Uh, so, right, who, who's got all of the stuff that I want that will feed me? And we come in, we consume, we eat it up, and then we go home and, and just fit it nicely into our packaged life. We completely lost sense of our mission. We forgot we're not here to consume, we're here to contribute, right? We're here to give, not to get. And the reason we've lost sight of that is because we've forgotten our identity in Jesus. We've forgotten that you're not just a Christian solo, you're part of the church who has a shared mission, who has a shared vision to reach the world with the hope of Jesus, and you are the hope. There's no, there's no alternative, there's no plan B, it's you. It's you bringing Jesus to the world. And so this morning, can I just share with you three thoughts? Just pre- three practical thoughts that I have of why I think the church has lost its potency. And you, can, you could take them or leave them, but these are just my thoughts. Three things. Number one, we need an identity realignment. 
the church has lost its gospel fluency. Here's what I mean. We don't understand the heart of Christianity anymore. Can I tell you how many, how, how scary it is that not just youth, but how many adults who have been in the church for years and years and years don't really understand the gospel? You have conversations and say, you know, and, and it's very clear. I'm not talking about just telling the story of Jesus. I'm talking about understanding that their salvation and their righteousness and their goodness is not based on their works. It's based on his, right? That they, their ability to be in right standing with God is based on the work of Jesus. But yet how many Christians are constantly living in fear? How many Christians are feeling like when I mess up, when I fall short, I can't really come into church. I'm going to stay away this week because I did some bad stuff. Or we come in and we, we don't really want to raise our hands. We don't really want to engage with God, right? Because we're like, oh, man, I, I, know what I, I know what I did this weekend. And then when we do really good, the weekends that we're really on our game, our Christian game, we come in and we're like, hey, brother, amen, yeah, God is good. You know, we're dancing at the altars. We, th- we, we feel like we're totally worthy to be here this week, right? Man, we don't, there's so many Christians, we don't understand the heart of the gospel. And we interact with God like every other person who's not a Christian does which is I've got to earn his love. Maybe he'll like some future version of myself when I clean myself up. We don't understand the gospel, the heart of Christianity. we got to create fluency, gospel fluency in our hearts, in the hearts of our children. We want to, we want to create potency again in the church. We've got to understand what we're all about. We need an identity realignment. Our identity is found in Christ. And, man, this is what I would say to you guys. Israel lost its potency because they looked just like the Philistine. They chased the same thing. The potential is for our church is it's made up a whole lot of people who are chasing the same stuff that everybody else is. We're chasing our value and our worth in money, in power, in approval, right? We want, we want comfort. We want security. We want what everybody else chases. We just add, I go to church on Sunday in the mix. And if you're really good, then you go to Grow University too, and you're in a one group. Right? And we just add it in. But in our hearts, we're chasing the same stuff. We look exactly the same. And the world looks at us and goes, oh, that's cute. You're spiritual. That's awesome. Me too. I just don't go on a Sunday. But there's no potency. There's no uh, them looking at us and going, wow, that's powerful. I see you changed. The heart of a Christian is this. We understand our value and our worth is found in Christ. That is eternal. It's never ending. It's never shaking. There's never a moment Jesus regrets saving you. He doesn't look at you and go, hmm, made a mistake there. Shouldn't have done it. Right? Which means you don't have to chase it anymore. It's secure. It's been done for you. And now it frees you. The shackles are off. You're free to pursue stuff that has eternal significance. All this stuff is going to fade away at the end of the day. Right? At the end of the day, we're all going to be gone. Are we living a life chasing the stuff that everybody else is? Man, we need to have an identity realignment. And a couple questions I would ask you of this is, how much time are you spending with Jesus every day? How much time are we spending with our king every single day? Number two, how much are you aware of your brokenness and need? And I'm not just talking about the bad stuff you do. I'm talking about are you aware of the good stuff you do? And often the motives are worshiping the same idols that everybody else is. Why do you give in the offering plate? Why do you come to church, right? Why do you do the good stuff that you do? Do you understand the depth of the sin in your heart and the brokenness? Because you'll never experience the magnitude of his grace unless you understand the magnitude of your sin. But lastly is this. Do you understand how much you're worth? 
Do you really? C.S. Lewis says like this, the gospel centers us. It doesn't allow us to get too high on ourselves because we realize it's Christ's righteousness. But it also doesn't allow us to get too low because we realize it's Christ's righteousness. Do we walk into this place centered on the gospel, saying, thank you, Jesus. We need identity realignment. Second thing is this. Here's my thought. We need to begin to love and fight for our immediate family. I uh, recently heard several stories about this is different churches. I've worked at two churches, and both have been great. And bo- but both I've heard some stories that are um, alarming and scary to me and the way that people inside the church interact with each other. And the culture that has sometimes been created of judgment, of self-righteousness, right? A culture of inauthenticity. Wonder why we're losing young people, why they're not coming back to church. Well, a big part of it is young people have a filter for authenticity. And they have no time for inauthentic people. They just don't. They can see it from a mile away and they're like, nah, I'm good. Right? We don't need more TV preachers. We don't need more TV Christians. What we need is people who are real and genuine who come in and go, man, I love you. Come on over here. Like, you look totally different than me. You, I would never wear what you're wearing or look the way you look. And I don't even know how I feel about it, but I do know I love you. Come over here. Right? Like, man, I'm so tired of hearing the stories of a, a, a person sitting in a chair and someone going up and going, hey, that's my seat. What are you doing? Right? You know what's crazy? Here's a, and please, if I offend you again, I'm sorry, but I am leaving, so just take it up with Pastor Steve. Here, here's what I realized working with youth, that sometimes youth, the most immature people in the church, share something in common with the people who've been in the church the longest. They're the most selfish. Because they're so used to the culture, they think everything should be their way, their comforts. And the the moment the music starts changing, they're like, what is this? This is not my type of music. The moment all of a sudden Pastor Steve starts wearing skinny jeans, we're like, whoa, what is this? Right? The moment that that stuff, all all of a sudden things start changing on the set, right? And you're like, whoa, what's going on? This is not the church I knew. And all of a sudden, our comforts and our preferences are elevated above our purpose and our mission. And we look around and we see people sitting there. We're like, what is that person doing? I can't believe they wear that. I can't believe they're here. Oh, my goodness. Did you see what that person said on Facebook? What, how unbelievable. All of a sudden, right, all of our stuff rises above mission and purpose. And instead of our senior saints, and I don't mean that by age. I mean that by how long you've been a Christian in the church. Instead of our senior saints saying, my preferences don't matter at all. Who cares what kind of music I like? Who cares how I like to dress? Who care? I don't care about lights or any of that stuff. Like What I care about is people coming to know Jesus, and I will lay that down any day of the week if it means young people and other people coming to know Christ. I'll do it, right, instead of that happening. <laughs> Amen. Instead of that happening, unfortunately, what often happens in the church is we go, who do you think you are? Don't you know how long I've been here? We place our comforts and our preferences over our purpose and our mission. Man, we're going to lose our potency real fast if we don't make some changes. It's very interesting. Do you know the thing that we're all made for is family? In Genesis, you remember God creates Adam and, and he says, everything's good, everything's good, except for he comes to Adam and he goes, it's not good that, that man's alone. Right? This is the one thing that's not good. Everybody's made for family. And do you know the church is supposed to be a family? 
united in identity. We have more in common because of Jesus than any other group of people. I don't care what you're into. I care what your affinity is. We have more in common in Jesus. And do you know that we have a generation, we have a culture now that is striving for this more than ever. Right? We, right now, uh, if you didn't know this, right, vid, there's this thing called live stream where video gamers will go and they'll play and people will watch them. They'll watch somebody else play video games and they will pay them money to have their name put on the screen so everybody can see them. Some of you parents, this is that credit card charge that you're not really sure what it is. Okay? You know how crazy that is? Like some of you, you're of a certain generation, you're like, what? Here's why. They're so desperate for family and belonging that they're willing to pay somebody to have their name pop up so other people can go, wow, that's awesome, blah, blah, blah. Why are, why are gangs so prevalent and popular? It's not because everybody's getting rich in gangs. It's because there's a brotherhood. There's a sisterhood. There's a belonging. They, they say, come on in. You're part of the family, right? Why do people spend crazy amount of money being part of fraternities or sororities? There's a brotherhood and a sisterhood that every human heart is longing for and desperate for, no matter how hard of an exterior shell they may put on. And the church was created to be that family, yet we failed at it so poorly. Man, we want to we regain our potency, guys. Man, we got to become a family again. When's the last time you, you came to church not looking to be fed, but looking to find somebody to love on? Right? When's the last time you left here and go, I'm not going to leave today without inviting somebody to go to coffee with me, inviting somebody to come into my house, inviting somebody to love on. Uh, I, I remember when my wife and I, and, and uh, we can have somebody come out to play something. We're going to land this, this plane here. Um, I remember when we started young adult ministry. I had for a long time, all my Bible teachers and um, pastors that I knew and respected were like, don't sacrifice your family for ministry. Right? Keep, it, keep it separate. And, and I, really, I really tried to honor that wisdom. And a lot of my ministry was, as much as I could, was nine to five. And it was like, hey, no, family time is family time. Like, don't come over, you know. And, and the, when I started young adult ministry, what I realized is young adults more than anybody actually wanted to come over and hang out. Like, they, they were like, oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll meet you at the coffee house. But uh, what's, what's going on at home, right? Like, there was almost an intrigue, like a weird, like, hey, what's your marriage like? What are your kids like? Like, what, what do you guys watch on TV, you know? Like, are you a hoarder, you know? Uh, so... So I remember, I remember realizing this. I was like, man, I felt this, I felt this friction in my life. Like, I, I'm going to have to lay down some comforts if I want to be effective at accomplishing the mission. And I viewed it as a sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice, right? There's times that you're going to have to go, I just love to sit at home by myself right now and watch TV with my wife, or I just love to not have anybody over. It's a sacrifice sometimes, but here's what I realized. That sacrifice all of a sudden began to change the dynamics of my family, where my kids started to see us and understand the culture of our family was a, a culture of mission. We're here to point people to Jesus. And so they started seeing young adults doing small groups at our house, right? And, and young women crying and my wife praying for them and us talking to them. And they, they're being annoying in the background and dad's telling them to shut up. But they're still seeing it, you know what I mean? And then I apologize later for saying shut up to them. They're seeing, right, they're seeing the church, they're seeing the gospel, they're seeing mission played out. And all of a sudden, like, what we started to realize is they no longer just want to hang out with my wife and I. Like, if we didn't have friends over, they're like, whoa, whoa, who's, what friends are coming over tonight? Like, nobody, just us family night. They're like, oh, jeez, all right. <laughs> Guess I'll watch YouTube then. You know, it, it became a part of our DNA. And what I thought I was protecting my kids from actually 
ended up being the best thing for him. Man, it's sacrifice to love on people, to lay down your preferences, and to lay down what's comfortable. But I promise you, if you do it, if you lift up the mission of God, he'll change you and use you in ways you never thought. Final thought is this. We want to regain potency. We've got to rethink how we handle our extended family. By extended family, I mean those who do not know Jesus. And I call them that on purpose because too often we've treated them as enemies. We've looked at people who don't know Jesus and we've thought of them like people who have the flu. Right? My two kids have the flu. There's, they're my family. I can't make them live outside until they get better. Right? So it's like there's certain people who are like, all right, if they're family, I'll deal with them and I'll pray with them. And see. But everybody else, man, I'm going to keep you at a distance. In fact, there was, a, there was a culture that permeates a church where people think about those who are not Christians as if they have some sort of sin infection that can be caught. And if they hang around them or if they're in settings with them, they better be really careful because somehow it's going to infiltrate their bodies and they're going to morph overnight into the same type of person. And so we hang around people and we hear, we hear words that we were taught never to use. We're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here, right? Or, or, or we see things or, or we're, in, we're in uncomfortable cultures or we hear music playing that, that we would never listen to, right? All of a sudden we're like, i got to get out of here. I'm in a leper colony and I am the only clean one here. Let me get out. I mean, that's not biblical. That is not the mission of Jesus. Can I just tell you right now, you can step into the lion's den because your identity is secure in Jesus. You've been given a mission. I, I, I used to, I don't know if Annette is here, but Annette used to cut my hair for free. And one day she couldn't do it, right? So I, I went to a random barber shop and I met a guy named Nick. And from that point forward, it was about three years ago, I decided to stop going and getting free haircuts and instead paying 25 bucks per haircut just so I could have the opportunity to build a relationship with this guy and share the gospel with him. And, and it's been amazing over the last three years. I love to tell you that he's now here and he's a Christian. And, and it's, not, it's not there yet, but the uh, conversations that I've had with him about his family, getting to share about my family, about who Jesus is, what God has done in my life, have been profound. Now, here's what, here's what you got to see, though. It takes sacrifice. It takes laying down our comforts. It takes giving up your preferences. And so when I walk into that salon, and I, or salon. <laughs> Let me get my man card out. Anybody can come grab this. Actually, I realize if there's a place that could fly, it is in Long Island, right? And from Vermont, that I would just immediately be kicked off the stage. Um, but I walk, walk into that barber shop, right? And they've got, they've got music going that I, I wouldn't listen to, right? I can smell, just this last week I was there, I can smell, smell weed in the air, <laughs> right? And I walk in, and, and I'll be honest with you, I was so happy to be there. I'm like, man, I, I, it's probably just me because of my job. I'm, I get sick of hanging around Christians, I'm like, oh, man, some people who don't know Jesus, like, this is refreshing to be around. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to regain our love for our extended family, our brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus. They're not bad people. They don't know who Christ is. And you who does know Christ is, is just as sinful as they are. Your behavior maybe looks slightly different, but you're as broken and lost as they are. we got to see people the way Christ does. We want to we regain potency. It's about time we start loving our extended family the way Jesus does. 
and uh, someone, you guys can play something. We're going we're gonna to close. Here's what I want to ask you. Some closing questions for you to consider. Do you have genuine relationships with people who don't know Jesus? How many people don't know Jesus are you in genuine relationship with that you're loving on, that you're inviting into your life, that you're sacrificing your comforts for to help them come to know Jesus? And I'm not talking about screaming on a street corner. I'm talking about real relationship, real loving on them. How many people, right? Is the culture of your house a missional culture? If you were to ask your kids, what's our family all about? What would they say? Is it about dad making money? Is it about us getting more stuff? Is it about us impressing our friends or extended family? Or is our mission, we're here to point people to Jesus. And dad has a job, mom has a job. We work hard. Money is not a bad thing at all, but that's not our mission. Our mission is to point people to Jesus, right? What's the culture of your home? And lastly, do you see people the way Jesus does? One of my good buddies, Andy, he's a Kyle missionary in Missouri. He says, don't ever underestimate the power of a hangout. Right? Some of you think you're too old. You're like, that legal doesn't apply to me anymore. Man, you're never too old for a hangout. You want to change the world? Invite someone to coffee. Wrap your arm around somebody. Invite them into your life. And if we'll lay down our preferences, we can find our purpose again. And God will regain the potency of the church. Can I pray for you this morning? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to take a moment for you to consider and ask the question, Jesus, what are the comforts or preferences in my life that I've not laid down for the mission and the purpose you've given me? If the church is going to be potent, it means our lives collectively, we have to be potent. So Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us speak to our hearts remind us today that Samson was a flawed human being who you used to rescue and deliver a nation but really the person who Samson ultimately points to the true hero is Jesus and today we're reminded that our identity is made secure because of the work of Jesus on the cross that when he went to the cross he knew every detail of our heart And he was faithful to his mission to rescue and redeem us so that we could have a life of meaning and value. He gave us our identity by giving up his. And by fulfilling his mission, he gave us a mission that actually matters. So help remind our hearts of that today. Help us speak the gospel truth to our hearts today and every single day. And when we begin to get wayward in our mission, when we begin to lose sight of why we're really here and we start focusing and worrying about stuff that doesn't matter, remind our hearts. Help us to love you more. Help us to love our family more. And help us to love our extended family. That's our heart and that's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's why I believe he's the right man for the district. That's why we believe that. Because the vision that he, that he has, he could have stayed here and, and we would have had a ball here at Bethlehem and the surrounding regions. Because I believe as we go forward in the 21st century, 
gone are the days of the big evangelists and those that are on television that would wow us because people are so cynical now they don't believe anything they see on television and so what God is having to do now I think the church of the 21st century is going to be the church that you have in your living room the person down the street corner that you know that everybody knows is a bum but you invite them to your house and they somehow get transformed they somehow see how you raise your kids how you live in your home what the things you do to live a peaceful life and, and they, they, they're so carried away by it that the spirit of God transforms them and then everybody on the block says isn't this the guy that used to sit on the corner and do this and do that what happened he got transformed in their house See, a lot of us, we've got to understand that the houses that God gave us was not just to be a monument to, to, to look sweet and nice and everything else. Your house was given to you for an assignment. The job you go to is an assignment. The car you drive, it, it was given to you to do your assignment. Everything God gives us is for our mission. It's for our mission so that we can be able to carry someone somewhere and in that journey we can be able to talk to them about Christ in, in a natural way not in a weird and spooky way and so my heart I love this man big time and we know that we love each other and he loves the staff and, and Pastor Steve and the staff we're going to miss him big time but we would not let him go I think if he wasn't called to the district level if it was just another church we would say come on stay with us we've got work to do here but now he gets to influence all the young adult leaders, all the children, youth workers, all the people from around the state. And I believe the reason why God called him because he has that vision. And because he has the vision, he was ready for the call. Because he had the vision, he was ready for the call. If God was to call you, do you have the vision already? And Jared, Pastor Jared, I just want to say, and I said in the first service, I love you. We love you. Every man, every man and woman on this staff respects you. Do, you. do you understand me? You have a passion for what God is calling you to do. And, and my prayer to you and your family is to know that there is a church in Long Island that will always keep you in prayer. I'm calling Jen out of her place of rest to a place where God is calling her in her giftings. That she will be used in a spectacular way. I, I call your children to rise up and be the men and women of God that they call them to be, that they will have successful families just like you. And I call you out to where you be, that you will influence people, that when you speak, people will listen. When you utter the word, people will move. And when the Spirit of God moves in your life, people will see that it's not all talk, but the signs and wonders will follow the words that come out of your mouth. And so I want you to stand to your feet and stretch your hands towards Pastor Jared this morning. Father, I lift up Jared to you right now in the name of Jesus. I surround him with the blood of Jesus. I thank you. No weapon formed against him will prosper. Every plan, plot, maneuver, scheme of the enemy to destroy his life, to distract him, to, to cause him to turn to the left, to the right, we bind it in the name of Jesus. We thank you that all authority and power rest upon him. I thank you that the anointing of God comes upon him to be able to utter the words that need to be uttered. I thank you that signs and wonders will follow him everywhere he goes, that you will justify him as the position that you're putting him in. I thank you that the power of God will resonate through him. I thank you that the Spirit of God will flow through him. We thank 
thank you that the power of God will be exalted through him. We thank you, Lord, that the higher you take him, the lower he will fall upon his knees to depend on you. We thank you, Lord, that he will look to you as the author and finisher of your faith. We thank you that he will lack nothing in his life, that everything he needs will be supplied. We thank you that the power of God goes with him. Everywhere he goes, he walks in your anointing. He walks in your power. He walks in your favor. He walks in your enlightenment. The power of God rests upon him and give him the anointing he needs to influence New York City and the state of New York. And may everything he continues to do just bring glory to your name. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.